I'm getting tired of prayers and thoughts after all these things. We always express prayers and thoughts. Tell Mitch McConnell to let the bills come forward and let's vote on them. Let's quit playing around. Let's do the things that are going to make a difference. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. It still seems like we could be at something of a tipping point when it comes to gun violence around the nation. In the wake of Dayton and El Paso, this week we saw frightening incidents involving guns in Philadelphia and also here at home where gun violence has been a big issue in the race for mayor. The city's still dealing with a lot of shootings at about the same pace we saw last year when it comes to non-fatal shootings. This week, local faith leaders came to the state house calling for stricter gun laws. Our Kayla Sullivan was there. Outside the state house. To the New York Island. Inside the governor's office. We're here to meet with governor faith in Indiana wants to be heard. We're not leaving until it gets into the hands of someone with authority. So they waited. Because there are 100 faith leaders plus their congregations who have entrusted us with delivering this letter. The letter that eventually got into the hands of the state legislative director will now go to Governor Eric Holcomb. It calls for a ban on assault weapons, mandated background checks, and investments in public health approaches to curb gun violence. While our national leaders won't take the right moves necessarily to ensure that we have sensible gun legislation, we believe Governor Holcomb can lead the nation by helping Indiana to do that. Governor Holcomb's press secretary, Rachel Hoffmeyer, said there is no higher priority than the safety of Hoosiers. She listed the red flag law, school safety funding and legislation, as well as partnerships through law enforcement as ways the state prevents tragedies. The letter also calls on U.S. Senator Todd Young and U.S. Senator Mike Braun to vote in favor of a background check bill that passed in the House, but neither senator has come out with support for this potential federal legislation. Democrats generally want a blanket policy, and then we're not going to get it done politically. Faith in Indiana knows federal legislation takes longer. That's why they'd like to start with the state. We're just praying for the state of Indiana, for the city of Indianapolis, and we do believe that at the end of it all, that we'll do what's good to the soul. The group is asking for a meeting with the governor about this topic within the next 60 days. All right, we're joined now by Congresswoman Susan Brooks. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Dan. Good to be here. Obviously talking a lot about guns here since Staten and El Paso. Mm -hmm. You introduced what's known as the Jake Laird Act and also have been talking a lot about red flag laws. But does even more need to be done on this issue? Is, is there more potential now for action on, on things like background checks in Congress? I actually introduced the Jake Laird law in the last Congress. I introduced it after Parkland happened. I introduced it with Representative Deutsch, who represents Parkland. It didn't a get Democrat. Yes, it didn't get action last Congress. We reintroduced it this Congress. And, uh, and in fact, we're coming up on the anniversary of Officer Laird's death. And uh, I think it is time. It is time that the country moves forward with some solutions. And I think, and I think the country's really understanding that a red flag law could really help um, get the hands, get the guns out of the hands of someone who's a danger to themselves or others. 
It's been used successfully in the Indianapolis area uh, since 2005. We've had this on the books in Indiana for a very long time. It gives law enforcement one more tool to remove guns from the hands of someone that shouldn't have them. Jake Laird obviously was an Indianapolis yes. police officer who was shot and killed this past week. We saw a situation in Philadelphia where Absolutely. several police officers were shot uh, during a standoff there involving a man with a, a lengthy criminal record, prompting this reaction here from Pennsylvania's governor. We need to start with really good gun legislation. Let's take guns out of the hands of people like this. Uh, then they don't have the means to do the things that this jerk did last night. President Trump also tweeting about the Philadelphia gunman, saying he should not have been allowed on the streets. The president uh, this week also focusing on mental health. Philadelphia's mayor said, quote, our officers need help. They need help with gun control. They need help keeping these weapons out of people's hands. What's your response to all of that? When Philadelphia happened just the other night and six officers were shot, it was eerily similar to our situation in 2004. While Officer Laird was shot, there were five officers shot that night on the south side. And our General Assembly in 2005 took action and passed this Jake Laird law. Statewide. Statewide. Right. And um, Indiana, which is a very pro-Second Amendment state, has gave law enforcement this tool. And it, like I said, it's been studied in Indiana. It's been used successfully. Um, and that's why we're trying to in, encourage states to adopt these kind of laws. I believe about 17 states have these laws now. And I think uh, we're trying to provide grants to states to train law enforcement to get legislatures to pass these laws. Last night, I was in Greentown, in Howard County, outside of Greentown actually, visiting at the Kirkpatrick Farm, beautiful farm, talking with farmers about things that are important to them. The topic of mass shootings came up and what we needed to do. As I was explaining the Jake Laird law, a Greentown police officer stood up and told the citizens gathered there that he had just used that law last month. Mm. He used that tool to, um, to ensure that someone was safe in Greentown, uh, Indiana. And so uh, I'm so pleased. Uh, officer Skinner did a great job, stood up, explained to everybody how it was used. We believe it protects people's constitutional rights. We believe it protects, it affords due process. We've got to get this done. All right. What about the El Paso shooting specifically and the president's rhetoric, which some have blamed in part for creating a tone that might be favorable to, to white supremacists or favorable to violence. Do you believe the president is part of the problem in that regard? I don't believe the president believes in white supremacy or that he is a racist. However, I have, as you know, taken a vote to condemn the president um, when, uh, when words are tweets. spoken yeah. Um, yeah. that have uh, racial discriminatory tones. Um, however, at the same time, I also said that I believe members of Congress um, have not been uh, sufficiently condemned as well when they have uh, tweeted and talked uh, in very anti-Semitic tones or when they have promoted the BDS movement. What about and this? And so, you know, yeah. I think we've got to change the level of discourse sure. and the level of civility in this country. What about this latest uh, tweet about some, some members of the squad? Uh, as you said, you've spoken about this, uh, taking a vote on it. This time, the president encouraging Israel to to ban two members of Congress from visiting Israel, that's pretty unprecedented. Well, while it might be unprecedented, Israel has had a law in the books for several years that says that if other people are promoting that boycott, divestment, 
and sanctions movement to really delegitimate the BDS, the BDS movement. Yeah. A lot of people don't know what that stands for. Um, you know, that is really to delegitimize Israel. They are our closest ally in the Middle East. And so Israel absolutely has the authority to do that. Do you think the president was right to encourage such a movement? Well, I don't know. I cannot uh, always, you know, speak out about that. But yet I do believe we are trying as a country to show our support for Israel. Seventy members of Congress just traveled to Israel bipartisan meetings that took place over in Israel, those two members of Congress chose not to participate in that bipartisan freshman trip. And I think that was very unfortunate. They would have learned a lot, I think, had they participated in that trip. You're stepping aside at the end of the term. I know you're still working to recruit candidates, I obviously, uh, for your seat and for others. I know you've talked specifically about the need uh, for Republicans to find more women to serve in Congress. What about State Treasurer Kelly Mitchell, reportedly considering a run. Are you working to recruit her specifically? Is she someone you're backing? In that well, I have cer certainly spent time talking to her on several occasions. Um, I'm looking forward to when she announces uh, that she is, is in all likelihood going to enter the race. Um, she's been an outstanding statewide candidate. I think she has a lot to offer. It is important that um, I recruit awesome candidates around the country. And I'm very excited about the candidates we've been recruiting. Of course, I want to hold the seat in the fifth in Republican hands. Um, but I have had, uh, we've had tremendous success recruiting around the country. Of the 450 folks who have reached out to the National Republican Congressional Committee, over 200 are women. Over 100 are people of color. I'm very excited about the diverse type of candidates who are coming to the table who are interested in running for the Republican I ticket. I know you've been working, uh, talking about the need to make uh, the, the caucus more diverse. Thank Thanks, you so much. Dan. We appreciate it. Speaking of gun violence, we also caught up this week in Iowa with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Let's just get it done. There is no earthly reason why the vast majority of Americans can want something like this yesterday, and they continue to fail to do it. We need solutions, like an actual action plan that's going to save lives. Now, this week at the fair, the state fair in Iowa, our partners at WHO-TV in Des Moines met up with the mayor. And afterwards, political director Dave Price spoke with our Birchelle Edme. Dave, thank you for joining us. Now, we know Pete Buttigieg has spent a lot of time here traveling through seven different counties in Iowa, talking about what he will plan to do for voters. But a lot of those areas have been places that predominantly voted for Donald Trump. So what did he offer voters at the fair? He's talking in a lot of different things, you know, and obviously he speaks a lot differently than the president, right? So he's today especially pitching this plan for rural America. That's something that, of course, gets people's attention here. So many rural areas in the state of Iowa. And when you're here at the Iowa State Fair, you really get a sampling of people, particularly in those rural areas who make a vacation of it, come here for a day or come here for the whole week and a half. So as he talks about this federal investment of half a trillion dollars, to sprinkle across our country, that obviously piques interest in this state. And if there's one thing we certainly share with Iowans, it is that Midwestern spirit and some of the same issues. I want to give us a chance here to take a listen to what Buttigieg had to say about this plan for rural America. Many people will always be drawn to cities, but I think we might be ready for a little bit of leveling out if and only if we have the right kind of infrastructure. There's got to be good health care. Uh, there's got to be good communications. Uh, otherwise, it's not possible to do well in this economy. And we do need to talk about just how to add to our population in rural communities. So, Dave, for farmers in particular, how does this plan truly impact their day-to-day -day lives? So he's talking about significant investment. I think it's $80 billion, if I remember, is total. 
for those areas. Now, farmers, of course, pay attention to that too because you know this is not your grandfather's farms anymore. I mean, they rely on broadband technology to operate their equipment, to monitor how things are going, to make sure that the fertilizer is spread right, they're getting enough water, all those kinds of things. And they're using some of it when they can. So they pay attention to this. They want to know how he's going to talk about trade as they are trying to get their way through the president's trade war, particularly in, with China right now, where China has essentially cut off all of its agricultural imports from the country. And of course, that hits Iowa especially hard. So farmers are paying attention to what's going on internationally. They're listening to what the mayor said, but I don't know that they're necessarily making any huge life changes. They know this is just a policy at this point. Well, Dave, it seems like this policy rollout this week will certainly be something we are talking about. Dave Price, our political reporter out in Des Moines, Iowa. Thank you for your time. All right, thank you both. Joined now by Importantville's Adam Wren. You were also in Iowa this past week for the State Fair. How'd the mayor do? Well, it was fascinating to see him arrive at the State Fair. Uh, in 2015, the last time I was there, uh, Donald Trump arrived by his private helicopter. Buttigieg, in this case, arrived by public transportation. Um, ate a lot of food, spent about four hours there, but he really seemed to connect with people he was talking to. We heard there from our partners at WHO-TV. They run this uh, corn kernel thing every year where voters unscientifically are polled on uh, their, their preference in the Iowa caucus ended up uh, Mayor Buttigieg in second by the end of the fair, right? Yeah, before he spoke um, on Tuesday, he was tied with Elizabeth Warren in, in second place behind Joe Biden, uh, but but kind of uh, topped topped her um, and rose, rose above her, uh, finished around 17%. Um, and, you know, it really kind of seems like it's a measure of enthusiasm. Of course, it's not scientific. Yeah. Um, in real polls, he's kind of, you know, around fourth or fifth place. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he moves over the next few weeks. Got to do well in Iowa. Any campaign does to have a chance at it. Adam, thank you so much. We'll have more with Adam coming up. Up next, a state lawmaker facing felony charges. Could he lose his seat in the House? We're back with more right after this. A state lawmaker is accused of driving drunk and impersonating a police officer. It's a bizarre case and still a lot of questions about what happened and what this could mean for Representative Dan Forrestal's political career. Brett Cast has more. Witnesses we spoke to said they were shocked to learn that this man was in fact a state representative. And according to police, he mentioned that position when he threatened their jobs. James McGuire and his wife told police they were walking in their neighborhood. When they say Representative Dan Forrestal flashed a badge and asked where the drug dealers were. He was impersonating a police officer. Police also went to the Blue Moon Bar and Grill down the street, where Forrestal had also been. Well, I was standing outside and this gentleman walked up and asked me if I knew where he could get any party favors. And I told him they had plenty of alcohol in the bar and he said, no, I'm looking for cocaine. When Representative Forrestal left, McGuire followed him and called 911. According to the police report, when officers pulled over the car near this intersection, they say Forrestal refused to get out and grab the steering wheel with both hands, making it more difficult for the officers to pull him out of the car. The report also says he told them he would, quote, have all of their badges because of his role as a state representative, and he also told them his uncle was the county sheriff. I was like, wow, Dan? OWI? Resisting? I was... I mean, probably like a lot of people, I was shocked and I was surprised. Abdul Hakim Shabazz from Indy Politics says right now it's unclear what this arrest means for Forrestal's future as a lawmaker. I think it'll be crucial. A, how does Representative uh, Forrestal react to this? 
And number two, what happens with the charges? Because these are felonies. And in Indiana, if you are convicted of a felony, you cannot serve you know, in the legislature. Okay, let's bring in our panel right now. Adam's back along with the former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. A lot of scandals uh, this past week. Nationally with Jeffrey Epstein's death, more controversial tweets from the president. And here at home, the National Guard resignation and this uh, strange arrest involving a state lawmaker. As Abdul pointed out there, uh, Dan Forrestal could be ineligible to run for re-election if he does get convicted of a felony. Yeah, this is someone who comes from a storied political family. Um, in his favor, he's hired the high-powered defense attorney, Jim Voiles, um, who is as good as defense attorney as anyone. But at the end of the day, you hope someone like this can get the help that they clearly need before politics even comes into play. He is, uh, as we mentioned, the sheriff's nephew as well. Should he step down, in your view? Well, we have to uh, wait and see what he and his uh, representation has to say. Uh, he's done a fine job in the General Assembly. I know him. We all know him. I think um, he's maybe got some issues, obviously, that, that he needs to deal with. So it's, it's hard to say right now. He hasn't put out a statement yet. We'll see what he has to say. Democratic leadership hasn't had much to say about it yet either. No, I mean, you've got to let the court system go through. Uh, Terry Curry, the Marion County prosecutor, stepped away. There will be a special prosecutor take a look at this. Let's let it adjudicate itself. And, but clearly, if Dan did those things, he has some issues to address. Another state law lawmaker, meanwhile, Jim Lucas, also facing uh, more controversy for comments on social media on Friday. That's right. You know, essentially making the case that we should bring back, um, you know, public execution. Uh, that's not uh, in the mainstream uh, grounds of, of policy debate right now. In fact, uh, the policy debate is moving away from uh, the capital punishment at all. So it's quite fascinating to see that play Using out. Using a noose in those comments. I know Speaker Bosma has, has definitely uh, hit at Representative Lucas in the past on the issue of uh, social media. Changing gears here, another state representative, Carly Macer, has decided not to run for for governor, leaving Democrats for the moment with two likely candidates, former Health Commissioner Woody Myers and State Senator Eddie Melton, who's still exploring a potential run. Are you surprised that Representative Macer decided against it? In a way, I am, but I mean, she made a decision that she thinks is best for her family and serving in the General Assembly. She's done an outstanding job there. Uh, running for governor, and I, I was fortunate enough to help Frank O'Bannon twice, is an arduous task. And uh, you have to make a decision of, can you spend that kind of time away from your family? You've got to raise millions of dollars. And you've got to get ready to wage a campaign against the governor, who has tremendous resources at this point. Can the Democrats uh, mount a campaign against Governor Holcomb that, that comes close? Well, I think, um, I think probably not. Um, governor Holcomb's done a very solid job. He's doing, uh, uh, you know, he has a great agenda every year, and he's uh, achieving a lot of success. Our economic climate is the best in the nation, so he's going to be tough to beat. I, I think he'll do everything right and he'll win re-election. Let's also talk about the race for mayor in Indianapolis. Mayor Joe Hogsett unveiling his budget plan this past week, a plan that could pay for police body cameras, among other things. His opponent, Senator Jim Merritt, says more needs to be done for public safety. This week he held a press conference in a cemetery to highlight that fact. How much loss, how much death, how much devastation can our community stand? We must make public safety our top priority, period. This council will have more than doubled the amount invested in community-based anti-crime efforts over the last four years. Now, a large part of the mayor's budget, 60%, is earmarked for public safety. IMPD would get a $6 million increase 
to $238 million next year. IFD's budget would go up $8 million to $215 million. No doubt public safety will continue to be a big issue here in the race for mayor this year. That's right. I think particularly down the home stretch of this race, the more that State Senator Jim Merritt can talk about public safety, um, you know, the more I think he can gain traction. Um, you know, having this press conference uh, in a graveyard, it was a pretty jarring visual, uh, especially for him not to announce any new policy to, to address this issue, I think was kind of also shocking. What about the uh, the mayor's uh, plan, uh, public safety, his budget, and also Jim Merritt continuing to make that a, a top issue? Sure, and he should, and he will, and, and he's going to be focused on it, and he's going to have the best public safety director. The mayor has named himself public safety director. This is unprecedented. There was a child shot on the way to a bus stop uh, recently. Over 500, approaching 550 homicides since, since this mayor's been in office. And again, Mayor Hogsett acts like he's just now running for the first time. And, and he's done this throughout his uh, unveiling of his plans. This should, these kinds of things should have been addressed in the beginning. Is the mayor vulnerable on the issue of public safety? Well, I think anybody is vulnerable on public safety. But Joe Hogsett, unlike Jim Merritt, is telling you what he's going to do. Jim Merritt is giving you a Christmas list. I mean, from a party that prides itself on being fiscal conservatives, I didn't hear anything about where it's going to come from to be, to be paid for. Um, we're, all, we're all talking about an issue that we all know needs to be addressed, but he didn't put any points behind it. We'll talk more about it on our podcast. Coming up next, we're one-on-one -on -one with the White House drug czar, what he's telling us about Indiana's fight against opioids. Up next. The White House drug czar was here in Indiana on Wednesday, and he sat down one-on-one -on -one with our Kayla Sullivan. Indiana is doing great. In the last year, under this governor, they have made historic differences in saving lives. You can see more of Kayla's interview with the drug czar on our website. Carol also held a roundtable in Terre Haute Thursday with Congressman Larry Bouchon. Stick around. We'll be right back with this week's Winners and Losers after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Adam? A Republican Representative Jim Banks, who gets the House whip, Steve Scalise with him in Fort Wayne this week. Uh, loser would be Jim Lucas, who's calling for uh, public capital punishment. Tony? Uh, my winners are Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, who, along with the great folks at Visit Indy, announced a new Clean Power Convention uh, with the American Wind Energy Association, involved which uh, I'm involved with, yeah. and, and that's coming in 2021. All right, Robin. The people that are doing a great job at the state fair, gone off without a hitch. Last day today. Last yeah. day today, and conversely, the farmers in our state that are being whipsawed about tariffs. I want to hear more, too, about what Adam had to eat at the Iowa State Fair. Lots of fair food to go around on this last day of the Indiana State Fair. We hope you had a great weekend. We'll see you again next week in Focus. All right, time for our podcast now. Adam Wren, Tony Samuel, Robin Winston uh, back with us now as we continue to talk about uh, some of the items in the news. We talked about the race for mayor earlier, the mayor unveiling his, uh, his budget for next year. Obviously, a lot of people keep a close eye on that kind of thing every year, but certainly in an election year, too. It's potholes and police, and he addressed and both. those are the two big issues. He addressed yeah. both in his budget. There are going to be people going out and paving more streets than ever before. There will be additional funds for police to have body cameras and more deployments. Uh, Joe has been on this issue from the beginning and is culminating right now. Tony, uh, next week, uh, our friend Abdullah Kim Shabazz from IndyPolitics.org uh, putting out a poll on the mayoral race. He's not my friend. Well <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. He is my what do you expect we'll see in that first poll of the mayoral race in Indianapolis? 
Who knows, uh, right? Yeah, who knows? And and whatever it is, it's going to change because there's going to be, you know, as we all know, a greater focus, especially after Labor Day. Uh, and I think you'll see uh, Senator Merritt coming out with more details on, on plans. So that could change. But I think what it's going to show is that Merritt is in... Uh, in a position where he can make a move and could possibly win this thing because I don't think people are thrilled with Joe Hoxha. Can he be formidable as a candidate? Doesn't have a lot in the in the campaign coffers right now, as yeah. we've talked about. You know, anything could happen. I don't think the average Joe uh, or Jane average are paying, Joe. Are paying attention. Yeah, that's right. Are paying attention uh, right now at this point in the race. Um, However, uh, State Senator Jim Merritt is completely within his bounds to assail um, Joe Hogsett on public safety. That was what Joe Hogsett ran on. Um, he was going to be the public safety mayor. Uh, he was going to be a prosecutor coming to the mayor's office, and he hasn't got the job done. So it's fair to, it's fair to litigate that. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite certain at this point, having followed the race closely, what State Senator Jim Merritt is going to do differently um, in terms of policy to solve this problem of homicides that we're seeing. Former Mayor Greg Ballard announced recently he would not be pursuing a run for Congress. Uh, we heard some reporting this past week that State Te Treasurer Kelly Mitchell could be looking at a run, and Susan Brooks all but confirmed that in our interview with uh, her this week. She said she looks forward to her announcing <laughs> that she'll be running for Congress. Uh, seems to be uh, perhaps Brooks's favorite candidate, maybe someone who also is in the good graces of the state party to be a, a preferred candidate for that position. But who knows? We may see many others. We may see Mike Delph. We, we've seen a couple other names uh, express interest in this race. Micah Beckwith, we've heard from Terry Henderson. There could be others. Steve Braun, who, Steve who Braun, ran in right. the fourth, brother to Mike Braun. Yeah. Steve's a former state legislator. Also, State Senator John Ruckelshaus uh, might be considering it. And uh, Could be a crowded field. Yeah, could be yeah. a crowded field. Um, what I look for, this is you know, me personally, and I think a lot of other folks, is somebody that isn't going to jump at every chance to distance themselves from our president. Now, that district is a little trickier. Do you feel trickier. Susan Brooks is doing that at the well, moment or no? okay. Maybe I, maybe I have. <laughs> maybe I have for a while. Um, but that, that's, that's me. You know, that's not all Republicans, but that's the way I feel. But it's becoming a more purple district. Um, every hour. Every hour. Right now, um, that district is, is on the radar screen to flip. It could flip. So it's, if Republicans nominate someone that Tony is hoping to see there, does that make the district more vulnerable for Republicans to lose if they nominate someone who doesn't distance themselves from the president from time to time? If they don't, yeah, if they, um, yeah, if they do. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of double yes. negatives there. I know, I, know, I try to figure them out. Yes, if they just uh, sing the same old Donald Trump hymn, they could be toast election day. And, and if I could just address that, not yeah. just from that district, but just in general with, with Republicans across, across the country, I think they need to do a better job of explaining the policy successes and where he's coming from on some of those issues. They don't even try. A lot of times they don't. I mean, you've got folks that do go on, on national uh, news uh, and, and defend him, but it's a smaller group than, than I'd like to see. What's your view of the fifth? I think if, unless Kyle Hupfer comes in and sort of, uh, you know, blesses a candidate, it could get really messy in the primary. Um, I think to Tony's point, you know, I remember back in, in 2016, 
in, in the center of Carmel where I live, that's where Donald Trump's headquarters were. And you know, a lot of people came out for him um, at the Palladium uh, when he had his rally there. Um, and so Donald Trump, it, it, there are, it, this is a primary, remember, not the general. Right. So this, a lot of people still like Donald Trump in that district. Um, and I think that and if Being someone, a primary, you could see more. Yeah, yeah. 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 and exactly. I think, I think if you have like right. someone like Kelly Mitchell, who's a more moderate voice, match up with Senator Mike Delf, you're going to get a pretty good test of where Republicans see the president right now. Um, Mike Delph has been very uh, laudatory to, to President Trump, and with uh, with Kelly Mitchell as a more moderate voice, you can see a clash there. Um, so I think you know this this might be one of the cases where uh, backroom politics prevails and sort of picks a candidate that everybody can agree on. If you uh, look at that district, remember it includes Marion, right? Where there are a lot of UAW retirees okay. and members that are being impacted by the tariff uh, plans of this president. It also includes places like Sheridan mm -hmm. and Thorntown. So if you go across 47 and see some of those farms that are not producing this year because of soybean concerns, maybe that will begin to resonate with those farmers too. I think this district isn't just Carmel and, and, and the areas around there, but it also obviously goes up to Marion. There are a lot of issues and diverse and divergent issues that I think will come to the forefront as we move forward. To your point about Susan Brooks and the president, we did also hear in, in my interview there, she did reference uh, the vote she took to condemn some of the president's tweets, but also didn't, uh, didn't really come to the squad's defense much this week on this particular controversy surrounding Israel and the president's tweets encouraging Israel not to allow uh, a couple of congresswomen uh, into the country. That's right. We also saw a Representative Jim Banks kind of speak out against against the squad and kind of called their trip to Israel uh, kind of a public publicity mover, maneuver. Um, so it, it's a complicated, nuanced issue sure. um, on, on both sides. Um, and you know, the BDS movement is a uh, historically new thing. So for people who say that it's beyond the pale for the president to urge uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to not allow them to come. You know, this, this movement that they're championing is new as well, so it, it's complex. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that the average user fully understands the nuances at play here in the Middle East. Yeah, obviously a complicated uh, issue there. What else stood out to you this week in the news? Uh, so many things uh, going on, as we referenced uh, at the start of our panel segment, both uh, locally and, and nationally. And at the statewide level, a lot of a uh, lot of political scandals. About, we have about seven hundred thousand veterans in this state, and you had the National Guard hierarchy resign. Or the head of the National Guard resign. At Governor Holcomb's uh, urging. At their yeah. urging, and it was quick. Yeah. This was not a story, and then delay. This was boom, bam, and they were out the door. You also had a revisit of a lobbyist for that one, a person described as a lobbyist, a former state senator, once again in the Department of Veterans Affairs with an issue. Those issues need to be addressed quickly. Um, I don't think that, uh, I know Tony would love for our race for governor to be over with, so would a lot of other people, but we still got a long time to go. You think so? You think Democrats can mount a, mount a strong challenge to the governor? I think Democrats, if we talk about issues, can. And I think that if we worry less about GOTV, which is get on television, and more about get out the vote, right. I believe we can make an issue. Hey, we like when people get out. I know that. we got to well, do both, right, but you right. got to get out there and knock on the doors, too. Um, well, I'd like to go back to the, to the BDS movement and just uh, share a little uh, as far as Netanyahu and Trump. I don't think it's so much Trump twisting Netanyahu's arm. I think it's probably both of them uh, thinking that was the right thing to do. And remember, Israel 
has a law in the books that, that prohibits anyone that is uh, uh, right, uh, Susan Brooks pointed that yeah, they've, also, they've also accepted and uh, made exceptions for that. I'm, in the past. I'm, I'm sure they have. But this, in this case, with the uh, as as, controver as much controversy as I think these two congresswomen wanted to stir up, I think they were doing the right thing. And then they invited Congresswoman Tlaib to come in to, to to visit her grandmother, and then she declined. So it was very political. And they also had offered to let them uh, meet with folks from the Israeli government to explain the whole situation, get their side of it. They turned that down. So a lot of politics uh, from the left there. The other thing that struck me this uh, week, especially with all the, the uh, scandals and violence that we've seen, is, and if I had more time to pick losers, I would have picked the folks in Philadelphia that were harassing the police officers that were doing their job and trying to, trying to capture uh, the the person that shot six, six yeah six police officers uh, shot there uh, thankfully they all survived obviously uh, Susan Brooks uh, spoke about that in our interview as well because as, as she reminded us a very similar situation to what happened in some regards to Jake Laird uh, now 15 years ago this weekend uh, when he and several other Indianapolis officers were shot as uh, she continues to push for that Jake Laird act and a lot of people continue to talk about gun legislation in Washington and here in Indiana. Uh, just this weekend, Saturday, another uh, demonstration at the State House. We saw a group, uh, Faith in Indiana, deliver a letter to the governor this week. It continues to be uh, at the top of a lot of people's minds in the news. I'm getting tired of prayers and thoughts after all these things. We always express prayers and thoughts. Tell Mitch McConnell to let the bills come forward and let's vote on them. Let's quit playing around. Let's do the things that are going to make a difference. The prayers and thoughts are not going to help resolve these issues. We've got to have something at the federal level that about 7 out of 10 in the latest poll I've seen people support, which is reasonable background checks before you can buy a gun. I mean, I don't think that's asking too much. For those that are hunters and those that are, I mean, Second Amendment rights folks, I used to hunt. I know what it's all about. There's nothing wrong with a background check. We do a background check when you go to a school to walk in to see a student. We do a background check before you can get on the flight. Why can't we do a background check before someone buys a weapon? Will I don't the, understand that. Will the president, uh, to some degree, stand up to the NRA here? or, uh, or does I, I think he's uh, given indications that he will, um, but we all have, you know, there's a lot of details to be yeah. worked out. Um, and, I, and I'm not criticizing you at all, Robin, uh, because everyone's frustrated when, when people, you hear that prayers and thoughts constantly, and it seems like nothing else is getting done. But I do think um, this country and families need to turn more back to faith. I, I think there has been a, lot, a loss uh, in faith and the family structure, and it can be any kind of family, um, but discussions, parents knowing what their children are doing, what are they watching what kind of video games are they playing are they playing that kind of thing there needs to be a focus everybody needs to take responsibility our faith-based institutions have been under attack i'm a pittsburgher a guy walks into a synagogue in squirrel hill and kills 11 people that's attacking a faith-based institution dylan ruth goes into a black church in south carolina and kills people there they this is not just about the moral imperative of somebody. This is about people that are overtly going to some of our faith-based. Look at the place in Texas where the guy killed a lot of people. I mean, they are, they are, this is expanding. So we've got to do something to reduce the propensity for those people to get those weapons, Tony. I mean, you know, we've got to be able to do that. And I think solid hunters, good solid deer hunters, and people like that, 
would agree with us that we should do something. Yeah, and I'm, like I'm, not, I'm not really engaging in the debate. No. I, 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 I'm just making the point that there is a breakdown in society uh, as far as um, uh, following faith and discussing and knowing and teaching and, and paying attention to your kids, not just when they're kids, but as they grow into adults. There's also, you know, all kinds of things to this. There's the mental issue aspect. Guns, I mean, I know you hear this from the NRA, but the gun doesn't say to the shooter, hey, buy me and let's go kill somebody. Well, the These people issue, have a lot of issues. No doubt the gun issue will be, uh, will be top of mind when Congress re returns uh, from its August recess after Labor Day and perhaps, perhaps will continue to be a big issue into the next election year. We'll see. Yeah, I, I really do think that um, as a nation, we're sort of in the last throes of this era where the NRA you know, ruled all. For the first time this week, their, their, their public ratings are underwater. Um, you know, the, the leadership has sort of lost uh, a connection with the rank and file member. Um, and, you know, when you hear someone like Senator Mike Braun, who is by any account a very conservative senator, say something like, you know, we, we need, when you have a, have a weekend, he said this past week, where two events like this happen, um, we really need to make some, some common sense changes um, or we're going to forfeit our right as gun owners down the line. I mean, that's just a really, I think, thoughtful uh, comment. Uh, it's almost like when you're a kid, if you kind of choose your own punishment uh, before your parents do, they'll go a little bit easier on you. I mean, it, it's sort of like that where I think gun owners are, say, are saying, you know, we need to accept, you know, some reforms that are palatable um, and, and so that we can, you know, ultimately win the long game of protecting the Second Amendment. Robert, Don't forget this last week, we had a kid at, at Lawrence, I think, Central. Yeah, and at Muncie. Central. And in Muncie. Yeah come into the school with guns. And I, I believe at Arsenal you know, Tech. And Arsenal Tech. I mean, right. the proliferation of access to guns. Ne near the school. I don't think they got in the school. No, but, they didn't but, get right, in the school. But campus, near, right. And we had the kid at Richmond, as you know, that right. went on. Noblesville. Noblesville. Yeah. This is a proliferation of access to weapons. I think we've got to begin to curtail that access. All right. We'll leave it there. A lot to talk <laughs> about this week. Tony Samuel, Robin Winston, Adam Wren, thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week here in Focus.